hope you turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians, chapter 3. Colossians 3, 15 through 17. If you have a if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a pew Bible in front of you or behind you or somewhere near you. I want to invite you to take that Bible and open it. This is, um, this is what we do here. We look to God's Word to guide us. And so we're still working through Colossians. And we will be for the next several weeks. Still praying about where we'll go next as a church. Stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Colossians three fifteen through 17. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is God's word. You may be seated. I'm going to pray as we begin. Father, as we look to your word this morning for instruction, would you calm our hearts from whatever we're thinking about right now, To whatever plans we have for the rest of the afternoon, would you give us a moment of your time, invade us, take over us, let us hear from you from your word without distraction, Mm -hmm. without screens, without annoyances, simply listen to your word, God. And, And I ask that as we do that, that I would purely speak your word and that's all. We need your strength this morning, and so we're asking for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we wrapped up last week with the the last put-on command that Paul had given us back in verse 14. But what we're learning from Paul as he teaches the Colossians is, is that our lives as Christians, for those of us who are trusting in Christ, we're to look remarkably similar to Christ himself because we are hidden in Christ. He is our new identity. And because of that, when the watching world sees us, they should see compassion. They should see kindness and humility, meekness and patience. Those those attributes are to be at the core of who we are and the way we're to interact with one another as the, the body of Christ is in bearing with one another, Paul said, and forgiving one another and loving one another. The hope, as we talked about last week, is that through the spirits adorning us with these these characteristics of Christ, we as a church would express the unity that we have in Christ. And as we saw in Jesus' prayer in John 17, that unity that we have through this Christ-likeness That unity is to be our greatest witness to the world watching. And many of you probably went away last week, as I did, after examining this text and thought, well, that's hard. 
It's hard, isn't it? It's, it's one thing to say this is God's will for us, and it's an entirely different thing to actually get there, to actually obey God's will for us. So I think a lot of us look at that standard that Paul has given us, that standard of Christ-like Christian maturity, and what do we say? We say, when we look at our lives, we look and say, that's not me. No way. I've tried that. I, I'm not there. I can't do that. It's just not me. And so then we have a couple options. But the thing that we usually go to is this. It's rationalization, isn't it? We begin to rationalize. God didn't really mean that I should bear with others. He didn't really mean that I should forgive others. He only meant that maybe just for the Colossian church. Maybe he only means that for pastors or for missionaries or super holy people, but not me. See, our, our thoughts there is that we're thinking, okay, more rationalization. God understands my situation, and he wouldn't ask me to do something that I'm not capable of, right? That's right, wrong. <laughs> Thank you. Well, two things. Two things. The first is this. When we begin to think did God really say we're echoing the voice of the serpent who leads us away from God and curls us in on ourselves? Did God really say? Did God really mean? Did he really mean that for me? That's often our first response. And though it is, it's actually the most dangerous question we can ask because it shows a lack of of trust in God's will for us. So what I want you to see then, secondly, if that's our first response, I want you to see this. Christian, God loves you, okay? And because he loves you, he doesn't just call you to holiness. He doesn't just call you to Christ-likeness and then walk away and leave you hanging, knowing that you're incapable of, of obeying his commands. He gives us his spirit, and he gives us his word. And if we'll rely on his word and we'll trust in the spirit, we will grow in Christlikeness. None of what is available to us in Christ comes naturally to us. Even when we've been brought into Christ, even when we've been united to him in faith, what's going to come naturally to us is our old selves, the old flesh, the way we did things before we were made new by the Holy Spirit. And God knows that about us, so he doesn't leave us there. And we see that in this morning's text. In this morning's text, we have three simple commands or three exhortations that tell us how to get from the selfish, prideful, and yet loved and forgiven and made new people that we are to the self-giving, and the humble and still loved, forgiven people that God is making us into. How do we get from point A to point B? It shows us how our earthly lives can more and more reflect the heavenly reality that is true for all who are trusting in Christ's work. So church, do you want to grow in Christ-likeness? Amen. Here's what we do. 
Number one, we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Number two, we let the word of Christ dwell in us. Number three, we let our identity in Christ motivate all that we do. If the peace of Christ is ruling in you, and the word of Christ is dwelling in you, and all you do is flowing out from your identity in Jesus Christ, Christian, you'll grow in Christ-likeness. And you will grow in unity with others who are in Christ with you, also known as the church. So what we're going to do this morning is simply just examine these three commands. Do you want to grow as a Christian? This is how. The peace of Christ. Let's look at verse 15. Verse 15 says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Well, we can just take that and accept it as it is, or we can ask the probably most important question of this verse, what is the peace of Christ? What does that mean? When we, heard the word, when we, when we hear the word peace, we often think about, about world peace, don't we? We think, we think about peace on earth, goodwill to men, the absence of war, the presence of, of harmony. Nobody's fighting. Kumbaya, la-di-da. But, but this is what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about that type of peace. This is, this is a different peace that shows us who we are in Christ. The peace of Christ is this. It goes two ways. Think about the shape of a cross. If you're taking notes, just draw a cross. The peace of Christ goes vertically, Up and down, we have peace with God through Christ's sacrifice. If you'll remember from Colossians 1.21, and you who were alienated and hostile in mind, that was us, doing evil deeds, he, Christ, has now reconciled, reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. That's a wordy statement, but what it says is this, Jesus, through his death, has made us peace with God. Through Christ's death, we have peace with God. He's reconciled us to God. But the peace of Christ is also horizontal, the crossbar on the cross. The peace of Christ tears down the barriers that we build up to separate ourselves from one another. This isn't, it's not psychobabble, okay? I'm not getting into that realm. This is, this is reality. This is real stuff. This is what Christ has accomplished. Our sin has this way of keeping us from others who are in Christ with us. How does that work? Well, think back to Genesis 3 for a moment, the first sin. What did Adam and Eve do immediately following their sin? They realized their nakedness, and they're filled with shame. Their shame, not just because of their sin, that's what led them to hide from God, but they also had a shame for who they were individually. They realized their exposure to one another, so what did they do? They covered themselves. They protected themselves from one another. Two people who had been made one flesh are now separated by the sin that they've brought into their lives. Sin does that to us. It forces us to to protect ourselves, to guard ourselves from one another. We're turned inward into a a defensive position because of our sin. And so just like Adam and Eve used fig leaves, we use lying, 
and posturing and gossip and anger and withdrawal and all sorts of ways that we can invent, all sorts of ways of guarding ourselves from others whom we perceive as threats. So to consider the peace of Christ is to ask this question. What has Jesus accomplished? What has Jesus done? Not what would Jesus do, what has Jesus done? What's been accomplished? He died on the cross and he took us, if we're trusting in him by faith, he took us with him to the grave. And then he rose up and we were raised up spiritually with him. By faith we're made new in him. Remember Colossians 3. All of this is just built on what we've been talking about. Colossians 3.3, for you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. See, we don't have to defend. We don't have to protect ourselves from one another in Christ because all of us together in Christ are hidden in Christ. All of our lives are hidden in the one and only Jesus Christ together. That's where we are. That's why verse 15 says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And look what he says, to which indeed you were called in one body. The peace of Christ brings us together and makes us one body. That's that horizontal peace. See, being called into Christ means that you've been called into the body of Christ with all of the other people who have been called into the body of Christ. If you claim to be a Christian, you're called to be with other Christians. It would be nonsensical to say, I am in Christ and yet I am separating myself from other Christians. We're called in one body together. And in that body, Christ himself is the peace between us. He is the peace that draws us together. He is the one who unites people who would otherwise be separated from one another by their sin. So rather than defending ourselves from one another, we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. We remember that there's a peace between us that's been accomplished by the cross of Christ. That's the peace of Christ. It's a gospel peace. Peace with God, peace with one another, both provided by the cross of Christ. So what does that mean practically then? What does it mean to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts? Well, the word rule means to control. We're to let the reality of the peace that Jesus Christ has made, the peace we have with God and the peace we have with one another, in Christ, we're led to let that peace control everything we do. That peace, which is founded on Christ's work, becomes the, the controlling factor, the, the conscience, the new conscience that affects all of our decision-making, our emotions, our interactions, everything we do. Let me give you an example of how this works. I'm seeing some, like, blank faces, all right? Say you've been working in in, in a particular area of ministry in the church, and maybe you've been doing it for a long time. Many of you have been serving this church in many ways for many years. You love it. It brings you joy to serve the church in this way. Now suppose, hypothetically, someone were to criticize you in your work. 
fair or unfair, it doesn't matter. How do you react? How do we react? How does the old self react? What is the, the flesh inclined to do? Well, it depends on, on the person, right? Some of us will have an anger response. Some of us will have a withdrawal response, fight or flight. That's how the flesh reacts to things. But how do we respond if the peace of Christ is ruling in our hearts instead? Well, for one, we remember our vertical peace. We're to remember the peace of Christ is the reality of our peace with God. Now, what does that mean? It means our eternity is secure. Our identity is in Christ. We're totally accepted in Christ by the God of the universe. We're not less accepted in Christ by God when someone criticizes us. Okay, so this, this vertical relationship we have with God doesn't change because of criticism. Remember that. The peace of God has made me, has brought me into fellowship with God. Our joy, our security, all of our identity is in Christ. The criticism of, of others cannot shake that. It cannot phase that because we are loved and accepted through the work of Christ by the eternal creator of all things. That's our vertical peace. What can separate us from the love of God now that we are in Christ? As Karen read for us this morning. Nothing, including criticism, can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. So we're, we're to remember, when we're letting the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, we're to remember that the peace of Christ has brought us also unity with this other person, assuming that they're also a Christian. So we have the vertical peace of Christ and the horizontal, remembering that not only are we in fellowship with God, but we're in fellowship, we're in unity with this other person because of what Christ has done. They are a part of the body of Christ with us. So if we're one in Christ with them, then our first reaction should be this, if we're letting the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. They love the body of Christ, just like me. They've been gifted uniquely by the Holy Spirit, and that means they are to point me to Jesus Christ. So they have the good of this body in mind. I have the good of this body in mind. Maybe I should listen to them. All right, that, that should be our first reaction. And so think about what we read last week. What does that listening require if the peace of Christ is ruling in us? Look again at verse 12 from last week. That list of put-ons, those things of Christ that we put on. Look at verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, Humility, meekness, and patience. If we're letting the peace of Christ rule in our hearts as opposed to our old flesh ruling in our hearts, then our first reaction to criticism is going to be humility and kindness. Our, our first reaction to correction, the correction of others, is going to be meekness. Our first reaction to difficulty is going to be Patience. How so? Because our first thought runs to the cross. 
the peace of Christ. When the peace of Christ rules in our hearts, we are constantly aware of the peace we have with God and the peace we have with other Christians. To let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts means this. We let the cross, the peace of Christ, be at the center of all that we do. We let it rule over our our emotions. We let it rule over our actions. And do you know what? By the grace of God and the power of the Spirit, you will begin to see yourself growing in Christ-likeness. You'll begin to see those Christ-like fruits grow in your life because the roots of who you are are rooted in Jesus Christ. Number two, the word of Christ. Look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Again, we have to ask this question, what is the word of Christ? That's another way of saying the message of Christ, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the message, as Paul says in Romans, of the power of salvation for everyone who believes. This is the message of the righteousness of God revealed to us in Jesus Christ and then made available to us in Jesus Christ by the Spirit. This is the message of Christ nailing our old selves and all of our guilt to his cross. This is the message of a new life in Christ that comes as a result of Christ's resurrection. This is a message of our hearts being changed by the Holy Spirit so that we don't worship ourselves anymore, but instead we're rightfully bringing our worship to God, the three in one, Father, Son, and Spirit. And that message, Paul says, is to live in us, to live in us, to, to dwell in us so richly that it is springing out of us almost uncontrollably in all that we say. And that overflow is to be seen in these different ways that he talks about. Keep going in verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Richly means overflowing. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. See, if the word is dwelling in us richly, then we're going to be necessarily communicating gospel truth to one another. There will be times when it comes out in teaching. And there will be times when it comes out through the word of ad- and a word of admonition. And through wisdom, as we talked about several weeks ago, we'll know when to teach and when to admonish. But both of those things, the correction and the encouragement, come from our our rootedness in the gospel, the overflowing gospel truth that's coming out of our mouths. Keep going, though. It's not just teaching and admonition. The word of Christ dwelling in us doesn't just come out in our conversations, though I pray that it does. But it also has come out in our songs. What does verse 16 say? singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So the command, and I feel okay saying command because this is a good command. The command is to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. The effect of the command is that the gospel comes out in speech and in song. When we, when we gather together, as the body of Christ, as we have this morning, 
and we sing to one another and we sing to the Lord, our singing is to be an overflow of the gospel truth that is dwelling in us. And you know what happens? <clears throat> Excuse me. When we sing rich gospel truths, we're built up. We grow, <clears throat> excuse me, we grow in Christ together, even through the songs we're singing together. Can you get that water? <laughs> Fighting a cold this week. Thanks. We all need a Marco Rubio moment. <laughs> the word of Christ put to music <clears throat> can do something that we can't do in preaching. We can't do in teaching. It can communicate emotions that I can't communicate to you through proclamation alone. That's why we sing. Think about it this way. When we come here together as the body of Christ, we come from, from all sorts of dis different situations, don't we? We come in this week, some of us had difficult weeks, some of us had really good weeks, some of us have difficult situations at home, some of us are hurting physically, some of us are hurting emotionally, maybe some of us are suffering from despair or depression, and others come in and they're excited and they're encouraged about the, what the Lord is doing in their lives. Maybe something from Scripture has just sprung out to them and they've been reminded of, of the truth of the gospel and God's faithfulness in their lives. And we all come with all of those different backgrounds, with all those different weeks together. And then we all sing together. And, and through song, those who are encouraged in Christ can encourage others. Through song... Those who are disheartened can communicate to God what they're feeling and still be able to trust in him. Through hearing others sing, we can pause for a moment, and sometimes this is almost necessary, pause for a moment and just be encouraged by the body of Christ singing. You can be encouraged by the richness of the gospel of Christ put to music, and that can, can be a comfort to us, can't it? Through, through song, sometimes you're singing to God with the congregation in the midst of your trials can be a witness and encouragement to people that you don't even know you're encouraging. I remember a time when a woman in my church was caring for her husband who was dying of cancer. She was suffering, obviously, with him in many ways. She was sorrowful. And yet, as often as she could, she gathered with the church to come and sing with us and pray with us and to hear God's word proclaimed. One Sunday morning, a few days before her husband died, let me read to you one of the songs that we sang as a congregation. Here's the song. When trials come, no longer fear, for in the pain our God draws near to fire a faith worth more than gold. And there his faithfulness is told. Within the night I know your peace. The breath of God brings strength to me. And new each morning mercy flows as treasures of the darkness grow. I turn to wisdom, not my own. For every battle 
you have known. My confidence will rest in you. Your love endures, your ways are good. When I'm weary with the cost, I see the triumph of the cross. So in its shadow I shall run till he completes the work begun. One day, all things will be made new. I'll see the hope you called me to. And in your kingdom paved with gold, I'll praise your faithfulness of old. And as I was singing, I looked in front of me, and there's this suffering woman. And her hands are raised, and she's praising God in the midst of her trial. She's confessing that God's love endures and his ways are good. She's praising God for his faithfulness. She's praising God and trusting that he is completing the work he began in her life and in her husband's life, even while her husband's dying. Confessing the truths of the gospel through song is powerful, church. It is a testimony to what Christ has done. And when we join together in music, you know what we're doing? We are expressing the unity that we have in Christ. All at one, we're singing as one voice, confessing our need for Christ. As one voice, we're praising our Savior together. We're praising his faithfulness. And through song, we as the body of Christ are joined together in one voice and we're proclaiming to everyone who will listen, look what God has done. And we do that through song. And it has the power to do something that words alone can't do, doesn't it? It can reach deeper into your soul in ways that, that words can't do. That's what our singing is meant for. It's not meant to be for our entertainment. One of the worst things that ever happened to the evangelical church was the so-called worship wars. Many of you are scarred survivors of those battles. Do you know what those battles were doing? They were saying on both sides that music was for my entertainment. Those, those battles only showed that music was being misused in a worldly way by the church. It had become a source of self-seeking entertainment. But God has given us music to bring us into unity, to encourage one another, and to express together as one body our worship to him in ways and through emotions that words alone cannot do. If music is dividing the church, then what should the church do? They need to go back from verse 16 back to verse 15. Just go back a verse. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and let it overflow in your teaching, in your words, your admonishment, your correction. And let it overflow in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Remind yourself every day of the truths of the gospel and remind one another every day of the truths of the gospel. That's what it means to let this word dwell in us richly. And when we're doing that, you know what happens? 
well, then it becomes easier to bear with one another. Then it becomes easier to forgive one another. It's easier to love one another because through proclaiming the gospel to ourselves and to one another, we remember that Christ has been ever-bearing with us, that Christ has forgiven us, and that Christ's love for us is constantly right there at the center of who we are, the center of our consciousness. Finally, number three, we're to remember our identity in Christ. Verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The peace of Christ is ruling in our hearts. The word of Christ is overflowing. And all that we do, we do in the name of Jesus Christ. That means that in all we do, we remember that because we are in Christ, we represent him. We represent Christ. Let me read for you 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. Feel free to turn there. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. I think in our Colossians series, we, we've gone here once before, I don't remember. But this is such a good parallel to what's happening that it's worth looking at again. Paul says to the Corinthian church, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? We've put on the, the new man, we're new in Christ. Keep going. All this, Paul says, is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So, let me pause for a moment. If you're in Christ, then you are participating with Christ in his ministry, reconciling all things. We become a part of that ministry when we're brought into him. Look at verse 19 in 2 Corinthians. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That message is the word of Christ. We've been talking about that. That message is what is supposed to dwell in us richly. We teach that message. We correct with that message. We sing that message to one another. And then, look there in verse 20, we get a therefore statement from Paul. Therefore, because of that message of reconciliation that you have, that's been entrusted to you, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's our message. Imploring everyone on behalf of God, be reconciled, be reconciled, be reconciled. I think that's what our passage in Colossians is getting at. Whatever we do, in word or deed, so our speech to others, our actions towards others, everything we do, the way, the way we relate to our husbands and wives, as we'll see next week, the way we relate to our parents and kids, the way we relate to our bosses and employees, the way we re relate to the world outside, to non-Christians, in everything we do, we remember that our identity is in Christ. And so whatever we do, we do it in his name. We're representing him. We're his ambassadors. His message is being spoken 
through our mouths and from our lives. Now, if the peace of Christ is ruling in your hearts and the word of Christ, the gospel, is springing out of you, doesn't it also make sense that this all we do in the name of Christ, doesn't it make sense that our identity in Christ is going to be fresh on our minds as well? And if we're remembering that, that, that our identity is in Christ, that we're his ambassadors, then it becomes second nature to put on his uniform. It, may, it makes more sense if we're remembering that we represent Christ to represent him as he is. Compassionate, kind, humble, meek, patient. Our, our message, in order to be taken seriously, isn't just to be in our words. Though it will be in our words, it will also be in our actions and in our emotions, in the things we love, in the things that we prioritize, the way we spend our time. In absolutely everything we do, we remember that we represent the name of Christ to one another and to a watching world. And remembering that we represent Christ, we're pointed to Christ. And as we look to Jesus, the founder of our faith, we are transformed into his likeness. As we prepare our hearts now as a church to receive the body of Christ and the blood of Christ in communion, as we come to the Lord's table, I want to look, point you to one last thing in our, in our text. In each of these three verses is something that I have sort of skimmed past and saved for this moment. Thankfulness. It's thankfulness. Look at verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And do what? Be thankful. Be thankful. Then look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with what? Thankfulness in your hearts to God. In verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then look, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Be thankful. Be filled with thankfulness. Give thanks. Thankfulness comes when we realize that peace with God and peace with one another is only available in Jesus Christ. Thankfulness comes when we dwell on the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thankfulness comes when we realize that according to the grace and mercy of the Father, we've been given the gift and privilege of bearing the name of the Son. So we deserved nothing that God has given us in Jesus Christ. Nothing. We earned nothing that God has given us in Jesus Christ. And as we freely receive the gift of peace with one another and with him, and as we freely receive the truth of his word, and as we now proudly represent his name and not our own, our response is simply to be this, thankfulness, thankfulness, thankfulness. 
over and over again. Thankfulness is the posture of a people who are ready to put on Christ. Would you pray with me?